Hello and welcome back to the Alternative Sports Podcast, your one-stop shop for all your alternative sporting news. Those are some words I've not muttered in a little while. It's been a prolonged break. We are back from our very long Christmas break. It's now February or the start of the year for the students. And uh, today we've got a change of host. We have no Dan, it's just myself and Toby. Subbing, yes, in his place. <laughs> how, how was the prolonged Christmas break as I just called it been for you have you uh, picked up any sporting gifts yeah very enjoyable seeing quite a bit of sport obviously we've had uh, we're going to be talking about the the darts later on and uh, been watching enjoying the world championship there's been plenty of other sports on offer as well some of the snooker I've seen and some of the tennis too so, so all the different alternative sports uh, but yeah Christmas gift wise I think the big sporting gift that I received was a dartboard um, which I have to confess I'm yet to put up and practice with, Whoa. but that will be something I'll be getting onto as soon as I get back home uh, and get going, start practicing, and perhaps even enter a couple of tournaments uh, if I can get my standard high enough. <laughs> I wouldn't mind having one if uh, our landlord permitted it, but uh, with my accuracy, it's probably best that I don't. <laughs> um, so you alluded to there some of the sports we've missed. We've not missed much since we last recorded a podcast. Uh, by my count, there's probably other events we've only missed the scottish open the snooker masters the super bowl the darts World championship a few of the big box uh, horse racing races particularly on boxing day start of the atp tour there's obviously been a lot of uh, basketball news unfortunately uh, the start of the darts again the boxing news with <laughs> aj and rumors with dillian white and obviously aj's fight with pulev that is uh mcgregor's fight versus uh the cowboy and the aussie open and not much to catch up on then. <laughs> well, well, we'll slightly brush over that and just go into what has been happening in the last week, which will mainly be t- today is going to be big feature surrounding the darts. We'll kind of kind of round up the action that happened over the break, but more uh, looking into where darts is going in the future, particularly obviously with the gender f- uh, face of it, I guess, changing and changing the world of sport in that respect. We'll then delve into a. Some more newsy pieces. We've got some <coughs> golf updates, Grand Prix, horse racing, a little bit of tennis, and then we're not. Unfortunately, we've got no Dan O'Connell's Dan O'Connell's Dan O'Connell's sorry stat of the week. He'll love me mispronouncing his name. <laughs> Only been with him for a Good year friends. and a half. Yeah, and um, then we'll do my unusual sport. So I think we'll jump right into it with your one of your favourite sports. Yes, with the darts. Yeah. In- increasingly my favourite sport, actually, I think, um, and something that I've followed intently the last couple of years and really been enjoying the uh, increased level of competition um, we've seen in the darts, particularly in the World Championship, which, of course, has just finished, and an unlikely winner, even amongst sort of darting super fans or whatever. I don't think many people expected Peter Wright to win. No, definitely, and that is exactly what we're going to get into now. He obviously... One in the final, 7-3 in the end, which was I was expecting it to be a lot closer against the mighty number one. One thing I think we need to learn not to, uh, or one thing we need to learn to appreciate Peter Wright for is that he's very good at predicting his own fate. Uh, halfway through the season last year, Peter Wright was having a few difficulties, had gone out early in a few tournaments and wasn't performing to the standard he was liking. And he said... I think it was after uh, a Masters tournament that he, uh, a World Masters tournament that he did quite well in. 
he his quote was, um, I'm... Uh, what, what did he say? Sorry, I think he just slipped down to world number six, and he said, by the end of the year, I'll be back up to world number two, and I'll be chasing Michael for that number one spot. That was his declaration. And a lot of people laughed at him when he said that, and there was some suggestion that he was deluded, and he was an old man, and he was on the decline, and that it just wasn't going to happen for him. And lo and behold, he's come back and proven himself. He said at the start of the World Championships, this is my world, I'm going to win this. Uh, And of course he went and did that, and he actually said uh, there was nobody he'd rather play than Michael in the final, Michael Van Gerwen, because he wanted to prove that he was the best, and to be the best, you've got to beat the best, as they say. It was a perfect fit into the end of his year, and as you said, prophecy did come true. You do wonder, though, if uh, it's a classic case for perhaps if you... uh I don't know how many times you might have said he'll be back at the top or doing this or winning that if you cast enough lines that one of them's eventually going to come in successful. Um, well, that's the thing with Peter Wright. He's got to so many major finals and only won one of them up until the World Championship, which was the UK Open. And I think that was why when he did win, there was just such an outpouring of emotion from him. You know, he is quite an emotional man anyway, but he was just, you know, obviously tears of joy when he won it. Um, and I think even Michael Van Gerwen, who was, to his credit, a very magnanimous loser on that occasion. I think, As always. Yes, I think Michael Van Gerwen saw how much it meant to um, to Peter Wright to finally get over the line. And also an interesting stat is that at the age of 49, Peter Wright is the oldest ever um new winner of the World Darts Championship, the first time winner, nobody's won it older than he has. It's quite an unexpected stat there, I thought there might have been a few older winners, but you mentioned his previous tournament winner, now that did come some real, uh, a real long time ago, when uh, before the days of the big mohawk and the, the coloured <laughs> hair, when he was a more reasonable, or normal I should say, looking chap. Um, but it was a big victory. He has undergone quite uh, quite the change over the last few years, yeah. But he he attributes it to war paint, in his opinion. Um, the Peter Wright off the hockey is a very different character to the Peter Wright on the hockey, and he sort of sees himself as a bit of an entertainer, and you could almost say a, a pantomime clown in some regard. You know, he he's always. Well, he's never apologised for being an exhibitionist in terms of how he plays his darts and how he performs on stage. Uh, he always says he's there, especially in these big stage tournaments, to entertain the fans, and fans don't want to pay to see boring players. So he's never apologised for that, and I think it's good for darts to have big characters. You know, gone are the days when it was sort of the pub game and it, they were all just big old men that played it and most of very them big old. <laughs> were very big old men and most of them were indistinguishable from the others obviously you had the big characters like Phil Taylor and Jockey Wilson and um, and Eric Bristow but they were famous and so famous because they were unique as characters whereas now you've got all kinds of different characters and as we've seen winners can come in all shapes and sizes in darts now and certainly uh rising in the popularity of the sport and I think as you alluded to there that is in part reason for it, all these different characters particularly when you've got fans there that are getting pissed up that's one of the big reasons <laughs> they go to the darts they are there to be entertained not just to watch direct sport because if that was the case we'd all have an audience like mm-hmm. you do at the bowls and record ratings for the Premier League last year as well uh, that's been running since 2005 and last year was its biggest ever year in terms of TV ratings and it was also record ratings uh, for the World Championship semi-final as well the semi-final between Peter Wright and Gerwin Price I think they said was the second most watched darts match in the history of televised darts so an, an incredible or I should say the history of televised darts on 
and Sky. So an incredible um, result for them, and, and a great match as well between Bryce and, and Wright. And I think that match arguably could have been the final. It was that good quality. Yeah, definitely. And you, we kind of uh, mentioned it there about how darts is grown, and we'll discuss that a bit more later on. Just for now, I want to delve into Michael Van Gerwen. He obviously didn't do too great at the Grand Slam either by his standards. Lost the final of the World Championships. A bit of a dip in form for him, wasn't it? Well, it's interesting, Michael Van Gerwen, because you could say, I mean, it sounds ridiculous because he did win, I think, um, two or three majors um, in the last year. You know, it wasn't a terrible year for him last year by anyone else's standard. And actually, there's probably only Peter Wright can say had a better year than Michael Van Gerwen. Um, But for Michael Van Gerwen's high standards, it was still a dip in form. He's had some issues with his throw. I think his priorities are changing slightly. He's just turned 30. He's got a young family as well. His wife, I think, has just had a third child. Um, so, you know, perhaps family life is starting to dominate his time a little bit more. And it was interesting, as he um, came towards the end of the year, he's just signed with a new, a new sponsorship deal with a new uh, darts company, Winmore. Um, and in darts, it's a little bit like uh, golf with the clubs. You know, you, if you sign a new sponsorship deal, you have to change clubs and you have to use the clubs as your sponsor. It's the same with darts. And a lot of people sort of started asking questions about Michael Van Gogh and saying, you know, he, he's he's won so much with this set of darts. Why would you change that? Why would you tinker with a winning formula? Even if it hasn't gone quite as well this year. You've still won the Premier League. You know, you've still won tournaments across the year. What's your problem kind of thing? Um, and I think Michael Van Gogh, you know, won the Champions League as well. I think Michael Van Gogh's response was he's got to keep innovating and keep changing. He doesn't want to stagnate. And it might take time, but it, we're seeing the signs that maybe he's starting to come to terms with these new darts and that, that dip in form may finish for him. He is definitely a player that uh, likes to keep evolving. I've, I've listened to a couple of interviews and that is almost his darts philosophy that he's always got to be constantly practising and constantly evolving and constantly changing. And... Um, but you said you mentioned there about his family, and obviously, he's the majority of his time, his working career, he is abroad, away from his homeland, and perhaps as you say, that does have an impact. It's it's a hard sport, uh, darts now, with all the travelling that they have to do, and, and especially these World Series events, which the top eight players in the world take part in, where they go all round the world. So this year, they're going to America, New Zealand, Australia. Uh, and Germany in a five-week period, so there's there's an awful lot of travelling involved there. That that's no holiday for them, um, and you know that will be stressful. And yes, there's a lot of money involved, and that's obviously why they do it. The Premier League as well, going to three different countries, up and down the British Isles as well, each and every week. Last week in Aberdeen, this week in Nottingham. Then there's all the touring on the um, Pro Tour that they do as well, and some of them do the European tour. So it, <clears throat> excuse me. So it quickly becomes. A hell of a lot of travelling to do and that was why the great Phil Taylor retired at the age of 57 he said he still loved the game and he still loved to play the game but he just couldn't deal with the travelling anymore that he needed to do um, so that's why he retired and you may you may see some of the older players as well the likes of Peter Wright may feel I think Peter Wright has now done 35 World Series events in his career so he's been all over the world 10 times and more probably so he may get to a point where he wants to start scaling it back so too Gary Anderson as well so as you say it takes time away from family and one other point I'd make is that James Wade who was in the Premier League last year 
declared this year that uh, he didn't want to. He actually specifically said he didn't want to be part of the Premier League this year, even though he could have been, uh, because he didn't want to take time away from his uh, young son. I think he's Arthur. I think he's only two, who he often talks about as being one of his inspirations to continue in darts. Um, he, did, he didn't want to do it, so he forego he forwent all that money from the Premier League. Uh, because he wants to spend time with his family and I think other players will look at that and maybe come to the same decision in future I could totally appreciate it. the travelling is definitely something that's only more come about in the recent years and particularly the average age of a darts player is at the age where they have either got a family or seriously thinking about it there are no young stars that are ready to go travelling around the world that perhaps that you'd obviously get with football and, and tennis and whatever, not, what other sports do so around the other thing is it, it's a long career you have in darts yeah. it's not like as you say tennis where most tennis players obviously you've got the likes of Federer who are rolling back the years but most tennis players will be done and dusted by the age of about 32 or 33 yeah. so they can afford to fit in all the travelling because they know they've got the rest of their lives ahead of them but they've got to make their money in that short window it's not the same in darts you know a darts player generally won't really hit their peak in the game and start coming into the game until they're 24 or 25 and we're still seeing, as, as we just said, Peter Wright, 49, just won the World Championship. And if you actually look down the rankings, even in the top 25, you've got players like Mervyn King and Steve Beaton, who are in their late 50s and still uh, in the top 25 players in the world. So it could be a 30-year career for some of these players. And there is a risk of burnout, I think. If you do too much too soon, then you're not going to stay the course. And the likes of Beaton and King have managed to manage their careers well and manage their travel and everything so that they've still got the zest for the game 35 years on. It's one of those sports you never really lose the ability to be able to play. If you're good, you're probably going to be good for quite some time. You're not going to lose the, the touch as it is. Well, we saw Paul Lim in the World Championships, the um, Singaporean player, at the age of 64 uh, competing in the World Championships and there are all these legends tournaments as well, which are uh, exhibition matches yep. the likes of John Lowe uh, Phil Taylor yeah, still competing yeah, uh, and, and now obviously Raymond Van Barneveld having retired <laughs> at the end of the year has joined their ranks, so players playing right into their 70s, you know, and, and enjoying their, their darts as well and, and as you say it's a skill you don't really lose yeah unless you happen to pick up something with your arm unfortunately like some kind of disease and but that can happen that can happen at any age as well that's yeah. the other thing we saw one of the uh, great players 2006 world champion Yella Klassen um, unfortunately had a tendon injury I think something to do with the way he throws the dart stresses his tendon quite a lot and had to take a year out from the game with tendon sur to get, have tendon surgery he's now back in the game but he's I think in the uh, ranked in the 30s now and not the player he used to be unfortunately so it can happen to anyone yeah I mean Van Gerwen we talked about his dip in form there he obviously did go back to winning ways last night in Nottingham with his 7-1 seven, it was in the end 7-1 uh, whitewash of Daryl <coughs> Gurney, which uh, we watched in the comfort of a, <laughs> a chair at the pub quiz. Yeah, and a very. I, I actually watched some of the Premier League when I got back as well, just to catch up on some of the matches. Um, and Michael Van Gerwen, after just two games, is the only player out of nine in the league to have a hundred percent winning record, uh, which just tells you, you know. And and the two matches he's done it against are the world champion and the world number five, so he hasn't had any sort of easy ride. Um, but yes, yeah, a couple of interesting results in the Premier League um, and good to see, uh, as I say, Michael Van Gogh back to his best and also nice to see Gary Anderson doing well. Uh, missed last year's Premier League due to a back injury uh, and there were some suggestions he may be 
didn't have the same uh, enthusiasm for the game that he once did and was starting to wind it down. But he said, you know, he's determined to keep going and, and to play the game uh, week in, week out. And it's great to see him back to form. Absolutely. And one other player, we've not mentioned her yet, was in action last night, Fallon Shurik, of course. Surprised the world, I think it's fair to say, of her performances at the World Championship. I know yourself, you've come out and stated before that perhaps it's a bit unfair on some of the male professionals that they almost gift this uh, player positions to some of the uh, top female darts players. But she stepped up and she proved so many people wrong. Well, there's obviously a, a slight um, unfairness in the World Championship that two uh, spots in the World Championship are specifically reserved for women players because it should just be a qualification system. The female players go through the same qualification system as the men for the World Championship. So there's no particular reason why two spots should be discriminated upon gender. That being said, it's a great look for the sport. We just talked about how the sport used to be just full of fat old men who were smoking and drinking while they were throwing. And to have women involved in the game and to have so many nationalities, I think this World Championship had more nationalities involved than any other they'd ever had. So to have all, and that's why the World Cup of Darts in June is a great tournament as well for all the different nationalities that compete. So it's great to have that, that variety in darts. And we saw the start of the sort of women competitors last year and Lisa Ashton uh, managed to take um, a set off Jan Decker, which was seen as an achievement. He then came back and won. But obviously this year went a step further with, with Fallon Sherrock, um, beating first um, Ted Everts, um, which some people put down perhaps slightly unfairly to fluke because she did play well um, and Ted Everts is a young player perhaps not at the peak of his powers yet only in his early 20s young, yeah. she had the crowd on her side so there were a lot of mitigating circumstances there but then she followed it up she went in the, in the next round against the world number 11 Mensa Sulevich a major title winner in the past uh, former winner of the Champions League of darts um, and, uh, and she beat him and full credit to Fallon because that's you know a, a real scalp to take in the um, in the World Championship and as I say it's great for darts she's now been invited to lots of World Series events so she's going to be going around the world with some of the best players in the world playing in all those matches and last night as we said she was involved in the Premier League in an exhibition match against Glenn Duzzadurant uh, which ended again in a six all draw another great step for her you know Glenn Durrant is no mug he's a good player uh, and she managed to get a draw against him. So, again, well done to uh, to Fallon. It's a great look for the sport. Definitely. Obviously, in the World Championships, the level of competition she did come up against was discussed as not being the top level. But coming against Durham last night, that that is the big level for darts. Not the biggest, but he's a good player still all the same. And she proved that she can compete and that she has well and truly earned her place. Among yeah. the elite. It's the Premier League and Glenn Durant just won best newcomer to the PDC um, in the uh, PDC Awards at the end of uh, last month. Um, so again, a big win for him to, to get that. And yes, he might be 48, but he's just given up his job as an accountant to come in and play darts full time and dedicate himself to darts. And that's paying off because he's already in the Premier League after a year. But yes, good to see her again. And, and we'll be seeing a lot more of Fallon Sherrick, I think, because she'll be in these World Series events playing against the top players all around the world. And again, a really good look for darts and, and a good uh, for their publicity as well. Yeah, she's added plenty of popularity for the sport. After she won, she was the talk of pretty much every major sports news outlet 
certainly across the country, and I imagine many more across the world that follow darts that to be the first female player to do it. And she's one of the first female stars in general to come along and compete with the men and do well. Like there's rarely any other sports that you you have the facilities to do that, mainly due to the physicality of men and women. But there's no excuse for it, and she's done well. One, one thing I will mention though is the women's world championships now the prize which she withdrew from i can't remember the exact figure of the prize money but uh i i I know for a fact that you get more for going into the world championships men's uh getting knocked out in the first round having you could not throw one winning dart and (laughs) you will earn more money than if you win in the women's championships yeah that's absolutely right which is i understand there's the whole popularity aspect of it but there's got to be a bit more money in it than that well, the PDC, unfortunately, have never shown any interest in having a women's world championship, so that honour has always fell to the BDO. Uh, now the BDO is in some financial difficulties, it may be that the PDC steps in and, and organises something, because to me it seems a little bit unfair that the BDO holds this women's tournament, uh, creates the new stars. You know, we Nobody would have heard of Fallon Sherrick uh, or discovered Fallon Sherrick or Lisa Ashton, all these types of players, if not for the women's world championship. Um, and then the PDC just plucks them out of their hands and sticks them in their tournaments and whatever and use them for their purposes. So I, I think it's uh, a little bit unfair, certainly on the women. But we have to remember that there is a quality gap here in a lot of cases. Um, if you look at the, the averages that are thrown in the Women's World Championship, a lot of them aren't particularly great. That being said, some of the averages that the men threw in the World Championship weren't that great. But I think... It has to be borne in mind that this is a tournament that, yes, is specifically set up for women, but women are completely entitled to enter, and as many do, the qualifying stages for the World Championship. Darts is not a men's and women's sport. It's a World Championship that encompasses everyone, and then there is a particular separate one that that is run that only women can enter. So I have some sympathy, but um, these things are dependent upon market forces sometimes, and if people don't want to sponsor the Women's Worlds and people don't want to necessarily pay the same attention as the PDC Worlds, then unfortunately it's never going to quite be able to get the same prize money. You might hope and even expect now that perhaps next year's tournament should Sherrick enter it, and she has a good year in the darts, that that might bring a bit more popularity to it. Perhaps might bring much more prize money in that year, but going ahead it may well could because there could be a gap in the market for people wanting to watch it. I certainly think viewer figures will go up. And Lisa Ashton as well, worth crediting her because in January we had uh, what they call Q School, which is the qualifying for um, the national tour um, which various players attempt to qualify for and then they play up and down the country and that's how you can accumulate ranking points and play in the, in the major tournaments and Lisa Ashton became the first woman ever to qualify for this tour um, through the uh, through the Q School so she'll be eligible for all 30 of those tournaments up and down the country this year which is a massive achievement and I think if we hadn't have had Fallon Sherrick in the world that would have been publicised a lot more than it actually was. It wasn't helped, unfortunately, by 
still, unfortunately, to see some sexist attitudes in some of the male players. We've had some great support from players like Peter Wright and Michael Van Gogh, and you've said great things about Fallon Sherrick and, and darts in the women's game, and, and that's great to see. But we saw uh, the other night uh, Big John Henderson, after he'd played his exhibition match in the Premier League, talk about not playing particularly well, which, which he didn't. He was thrashed by Nathan Aspinall, and remarked uh, that he would... Um, if he played like that in one of the floor tournaments, even Lisa Ashton would beat him. And that kind of um, comment, it just it's its not a good look for him or for the, the sport. And it's just a shame that she's got that tour card on merit. She hasn't been invited in or got a world card or anything. She's earned that through the qualifiers by playing men. She's, she deserves to be there. She deserves her place. So for him to come out and say that, I think just demeans darts as a sport really and it's a shame that he, he couldn't have been a bit more mature about it I don't think but as I say it's good to see the big players and the and the prominent pros supportive of it. Yeah the ones that are well known and the ones that are winning stuff are certainly supporting it and it is brilliant for the sport but the big question I was going to ask is where next for the future of darts because in my personal opinion that there's this is only going to improve the viewing figures uh, of darts because more women are going to be wanting to get involved the crowd were loving her dressing up in all those plenty mm-hmm. of figures but in uh, blonde wigs she is still very young in her career Valen Shurik herself she did definitely look, look very emotional when she come on quite rightly so it's a proud moment for her and perhaps you could say that probably even still a bit nervy last night her first big tournament and she might only get better with age and it probably looks the way it's going to be. So where next for darts? Well, and it's also about getting used to that stage as well. And all the players say, you know, for your first time on the big stage, you just want to throw the darts straight to start with and hit your first 180 on a big stage and that kind of thing. Some players feel at home on the big stage and, and do their best work on the big stage. Other players, uh, Ian White being a, a good example, the world number 10, um excels at floor tournaments wins many floor tournaments but he has a bit of a mental block when it comes to majors and big stage tournaments and he's never got to even a semi-final despite being the world number 10 so um, it, it comes differently to different people but I think as I say as Fallon Sherrick continues to gain experience she's only going to get better some of the other younger players in darts that are worth mentioning as well Nathan Aspinall we've talked a little bit about in a previous uh, podcast now up to world number 8 uh, and thoroughly enjoying himself in the Premier League as well, uh, and just has just won a floor tournament, I think the second Players' Championship of the year, with uh, one of the highest averages that's ever been won, um, that's ever won a floor tournament as well, and had to beat the world champion Peter Wright and Gerwin Price on the way, so he didn't do it easily, um, but he looks a really exciting prospect, still only 28. I've been waxing lyrical about Nathan Aspinall for Definitely, over a year yeah. now. I've heard him mentioned many times yes, in your mouth. I saw him uh, when he played in the semi-final of the Worlds a couple of years ago, uh, narrowly lost out to Michael Smith, who had, even in Michael Smith's words, the game of his life, um, and I thought he looked brilliant then. Then he went on to win the UK Open, which was an amazing moment for him, and he won the uh, Las Vegas Masters last year as well, so it was a great year for him, and got to the semi-finals of the Worlds again. So, He's somebody really up and coming, looks a fantastic prospect in darts that I can't wait to see develop further and uh, move even further up the rankings. I think he could be the next big thing in darts. And uh, one other player 
worth mentioning is a Dutchman, Jeffrey Desvan, um, who's still only 22, I think 22 or 23, um, and he's building his way up the rankings as well. He'll be representing uh, the Netherlands alongside Michael van Gerwen in the World Cup this year, um, and he is a fast thrower, very good 180 hitter, big scorer, um, knocked out Van Gogh in a couple of events as well so there's a little bit of a rivalry starting between them uh, but he's somebody that I'm looking forward to seeing as well so there are young players coming through and um, obviously some of the old stalwarts like Wright are finally winning tournaments that they ought to have won years ago so it's good to see a bit of change in darts and perhaps a bit less of the dominations that we've seen before I think we're both in agreement that darts is on the up uh, there's a change in powers as you say there uh, with the old dogs perhaps not reigning as much. Van Gerwen certainly proved that he's not the top unbeatable dog that everyone perhaps thought he was even a few months ago. And it all adds up for better entertainment, more viewing figures and more popularity. I think moving from one of your favourite sports into another now, <laughs> horse racing. Yes, interesting story out of horse racing this week, which is that the Grand National weights have been announced. A little bit odd to be talking about the Grand National, which is in April, uh, all the way back in mid-February, which we still are, but it's just worth mentioning because we know that half of all UK adults have a bet on the Grand National, and uh, the viewing figures tend to be 10 million people, so it's good to keep yourself... Um, updated upon what's going on in the race so you can be better informed when you come to make your stake um, and the big story that's out this week is the weights for the national and which uh, weights each horse will be carrying what the handicap is going to look like and this has got a bit political because of course the last two years we've had tiger roll uh, winning the national and it's just started to get a little bit testy between tiger roll's owner the ryanair boss michael <laughs> o'leary um, and the handicapper who's in charge of rating these horses and making sure each horse has a fair chance with the weight that they're carrying and Michael O'Leary having previously ruled out Tiger Roll running again then changed his mind and entered him for the race uh, saying that if the handicapper gave him a fair mark he would run the handicapper hasn't relented and Tiger Roll will carry if he runs top weight of 11 stone 10 uh, alongside the Irish Gold Cup winner Delta Work who will also carry 11 stone 10 uh, but Michael O'Leary absolutely outraged by this and some quite um, angry comments where he said obviously this man doesn't watch rating referring to uh, sorry racing referring to the handicapper and said um, recent form clearly means nothing to this man absolutely nothing um, we're disappointed so not very happy at all and it's going to be interesting to see whether Tiger Roll actually does go under this weight I actually happen to think it's a fair rating but uh, Michael O'Leary not happy at all he's often not happy isn't he <laughs> unless it happens to be after the Grand National the last two years I think that's the only time I've seen him happy apart from when he's uh mugging off many flights customers <laughs> he's he's had some success in recent years actually he had a long spell he won the uh, the gold cup with war of attrition in 2006 and then he had a long spell outside the winner's enclosure and bearing in mind that he's winding down his horse racing operation so these are sort of his last couple of years in in the sport he had a winner of the national in rule the world a few years back and now tiger roll and he won the gold cup with don cossack in 2016 as well so he's had a few different winners recently but tiger roll is his last big start and i'd be surprised even at this weight i'd be surprised if tiger roll doesn't run he's currently five to one with most bookmakers 
uh, and I imagine he'll shorten significantly as the public get behind him for a historic third Grand National. Surely, though, he can't do it again for a third year in a row. Unheard of. It Never is, happened yeah. before, what do you reckon, at this early stage, and it, it still is an early stage. He's obviously going to be popular with the public, having won it twice before. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, not three years in a row. No, I don't think it's going to happen either, but I, you'll find a lot of people that do, and there's a lot of love for this horse, a very, a very special horse. He it will only be running three times this season, and we've already been told that whatever happens, he will be retired at the end of the yeah. season. Um, he's, he's running on Sunday in the Boyne Hurdle at Navan uh, up in Ireland and that will be his prep race really so not really any expectations on that he did win the race last year in a weak field but um, if he if he comes last I'm sure the owners won't care it's all about <laughs> it's all about getting the run into him and getting him match fit if you will for his two big races the first of which is the cross country at Cheltenham uh, and he'll be odds on favourite heavy favourite to win that he's won that the last two years as well um, and then obviously on for his what if he does run will be his final race um, the Grand National um, and I just think looking at the weights there's a couple of very interesting other challengers the former Gold Cup winner Native River is likely to be entered um, under a lighter weight and looks well in on his latest performance so I am inclined to go with him if he goes. There's a few other contenders that look very nicely handicapped, and I just think this would be, particularly as he's a year older, he's got more racing in his legs and um, he's got more weight on his back. I think it would be very, very difficult to see um, Tiger Roll crossing the line in front. That being said, even if I've got money on Native River, I'll be the first to cheer him home <laughs> if he's in front up the straight. It would be a fitting end to his career, but we... Uh... Both don't see it happening. I don't envisage it. Neither well, the other you. thing is, I've seen better horses that have won the national. In my opinion, many clouds being a, a example from a few years ago, won the national in 2015 and had to carry this weight, 11 stone 10, uh, and couldn't do it and finished 16th the next year. So, I'm I'm not sure. Having seen better horses try and fail. I'm not sure I can see Tiger Roll achieving this, but clearly five to one favourite and next best in the market is Magic of Light at 14. So you've got to go well further back in the market to get anything else. Um, obviously, a lot of the public disagree with me on that one. <laughs> Renders useless though of my thoughts. I will just say I just remembered that last year, if I remember correctly, my horse literally fell at the first hurdle. So uh, <laughs> don't take any betting tips off me anytime soon. I think that one's running again, Vintage Clouds, if that was the one. I uh, think it might not have been the first. Was it up for review, because they were the two that fell at the first, I think, I have a feeling it was year, up so. for review. Um, well, Vintage Clouds is running again this year on, on a slightly better weight, so maybe if he gets a bit further than the first, <laughs> you'll have a bit of a better run for your money if you go from again. Well, only fix an improvement on last year. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on to our next topic now. It's been making headlines across the world. No, it's not our podcast. <laughs> it's the coronavirus, but we're going to be talking about in the sport relations. It's called to a, the postponement of the Chinese Grand Prix. Now, my personal opinion is that it should... It, it, well, I sh we'll should say first it's being postponed until next year. I think that in... All in all, it should the race should still go ahead this year, but uh, not as the Chinese Grand Prix. It should go ahead as... They should gift it to somewhere else. It should still happen in this calendar year, as it be, the same tournament year, and not be moved. But when you say it's been postponed till next year, does that mean that 
it won't count in the points totals of this year, or do they just mean that? I, I thought there was usually a Chinese Grand Prix. So does that just mean that they've cancelled it for this year? I'm not really sure how that one works. Well, I'm not. I think it's kind of a touch and go situation of what's going to happen. It obviously develops on how the the race goes further. The postponement. I'm just checking now. So it was originally scheduled for April this year, of course. Um, but not too much has been said by Formula One other than it is being postponed. And perhaps Dan would have been fit in here to, uh, as the racing fan to explain a what bit more. What would have happened, yeah. Um, it is a shame, obviously, but you can't be too careful anymore, especially with all the travel restrictions and things going on in China. And Formula One are far from the only sport to be doing this. Um, I'm not sure where else is, is pining for a Grand Prix that hasn't already got one. I suppose two perhaps could take place in Germany because they've got their two big tracks there, haven't they, that, that alternate. So they could do another one there. But um, some of the drivers have been complaining about the calendar being too hectic and I think it's 18 or 19 races being too many for their liking. So perhaps the time has come... Uh, where they'd actually be quite happy to have a few weeks off if the Chinese one is uh, not going ahead. Yeah, it is a hard life to just sit sit down in a car <laughs> and drive around the track. Not exactly the most endurance on the body itself. I know obviously the downforce would be, but uh, in terms of physical output, not the greatest We've compared got Lewis, to other sports. Lewis Hamilton involved in contract negotiations as well, and that's going to be fascinating to see because he's got a uh, incredible um, contract lined up I think um, possibly even a nine figure sum so uh, for, for his last contract with Mercedes if if they can avoid him being tempted over by Ferrari so again not just uh, swanning around the world and sitting in cars but <laughs> doing so for an incredible amount of money more than a footballer gets paid yeah I, I, well the, the rumours were that he was going to go for Ferrari so perhaps it could be the start of a bidding war um but going into tennis now, I think we've, there's not enough F1 to really talk about other than that. Um, we're going to talk about Tisvitsa Pass, the Greek tennis Pass, yeah. We bigged, I bigged him up, even though I can't pronounce his name properly. <laughs> um, I bigged him up last year after his ATP win in London. He's not started this year so well. He's just, as we're recording this, uh, lost to an unseeded player at the Rotterdam Open. I think he didn't do too great in the. Uh, it wasn't the weekend just gone. I think it was the weekend before the as the ATP tour uh, set off again, and it just doesn't seem. It just seems like there's a curse for young tennis players that dudes tend to do well and win a trophy or two in the previous year. They don't start the next year as just as how they'd like to. Mm, and uh, sort of been eclipsed by Dominic Team this year as well and his, his incredible run to the US, sorry, the Aussie Open final um, and I think was uh, within a set of beating Novak Djokovic in that final and ultimately fell short as he has done unfortunately on, on many occasions now in, in Open finals and semi-finals so when he finally wins the uh, the big one then I'm sure We'll all be very happy for him, and it was a shame he couldn't finally do it. We talked about Dominic Team, I think, in a previous yeah. podcast, and that at 26 now, the time really is coming where he's he's meant to be in his prime, and if he doesn't start winning Grand Slams soon, then the the opportunity may pass for him. So, uh, fingers crossed for him. But it's a shame not to see Sitsipas in the sort of form that he finished the year with. Um, I know he's been doing a lot of travelling because I, I do follow him on Twitter actually, and I've seen some of his 
tours in the uh, some of the Gulf states and in the Middle East and that kind of area. So whether his holidaying is sort of having some sort of impact on his form, I'm not sure, but he seems to be enjoying his newfound fame. Yeah, maybe a bit, still a bit too uh, party and hard. Dominic Team, I think we referred to him as the Jesse Lingard of the tennis world. He did have a fantastic uh, match in the semis, though, out in the Aussie Open, and as you said, losing to Djokovic, who became the first player to win three Grand Slams across three decades. Uh, Is that right? I didn't... Yeah. Djokovic? From, from what I read... It might have been a different stat. So that's, that's, that's incre- well, I'm just, I'm just, I didn't think he was winning slams uh, pre-2010, but I suppose he must have done. Um, must have won one of them, I suppose. He would have been, what, sort of 20, 21, yeah. that, that, that is. But I'm surprised that nobody, not Federer, Yeah, I'm surprised like Federer hadn't before. Had not done that either. So that's a very and good again, stat, yeah. Federer, I think, probably only started to come on the scene in the early 2000s rather than... He didn't win anything in the, yeah. in the late 90s, no. Well, that, that was still the era when you had the likes of Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi dominating everything. So we then, obviously, we immediately switched from that to Federer and Nadal, and that's still where we find ourselves, both of them still ranked in the top three in the world. Yeah. That concludes most of the news today. We, uh, obviously, with no Dan, we have no Dan stat of the week. Do you have a stat? Well, we do have just a, a mini story on the uh, Premier Golf League we as well, which I just wanted to raise attention to. Um, this was in, in many of the uh, papers, and uh, Eyes on the Tiger being the headline. The story is that Tiger Woods is wanted to headline a rival to the PGA Tour in golf. Uh, an ambitious plan for a new Premier Golf League, which would be an 18-event competition with top golfers from the PGA Tour going all around the world, uh, playing at various courses, and it would all be televised. Um, But the tournament would be held over two rounds of golf rather than the usual three, which most tournaments are, to make it quicker and more accessible to, uh, to viewers. And each individual winner would claim £1.5 million in prize money. So this it's is pocket change. Well, it's pocket change. It's pretty lucrative. Um, but interestingly, Tiger Woods said uh, he has been approached and his team are, in his words, delving into the details of it and trying to figure this out. So he's clearly interested. And I think this is partly because Tiger, uh, I mean, he certainly doesn't need the money, but other than his very impressive Masters win last year, he hasn't really been featuring as much as he'd like in in the upper echelons of the major tournaments in the last few years and perhaps he sees this as a big payday for him now in his mid-40s um, something that he wants to go and do uh, but the question is whether some of the other players are willing to come after him um, the likes of Rory McIlroy is there still more um, more prestige for them in these major tournaments than there is in a, in a Premier Golf League and the CEO of the PGA Tour has come out and said it's one or the other guys you can't play our majors and play the Masters and all that and play the Premier Golf League you've got to do one or the other but I was interested in your thoughts on this Sam because it's something that's worked for uh, for darts that we've seen the, the darts Premier League has been a tremendous success and makes money to keep the tour running across and all the different tournaments they do are all paid for by the success of the Premier League so what do you think could this work for golf and would you watch it well I think golf for a while has needed to reinvent itself and as you say it's worked for darts and very much on the the up I think to, for it to work, you would definitely need, you need Tiger Woods involved. And I think even if you had one other big star like Rory McIlroy and then a couple of 
not so high, not, not so high level pe- of pedigree of players in there, you will get people watching it because everyone knows Tiger Woods and everyone knows Rory McIlroy, regardless of whether, how much you follow golf. I like this idea of them playing all around the world as well yes. as going to various exotic locations and play, you know why not have golf in the Bahamas or golf in Vietnam or various places of natural beauty that they could play at all these different weird and wonderful courses uh, and just make things a bit more interesting than the same old, you know everybody likes Carnoustie and whatever and and, and different um, courses that they play at every year for the for the majors but why not actually make it a little bit more different I, it depends what audience golf is going for are they trying to stick to their core audience or are they doing something like darts has done very successfully and cricket is desperately trying to do with the 2020 tournaments and not yeah not doing very well and that's appeal to a younger audience who dare i say it don't have the same attention span as the older generations that that enjoy watching three or four day golf tournaments so i think this is something where the big stars can earn more money and the um viewers can enjoy it even more but there is a certain element of this town ain't big enough for the two of us kind of thing where this either needs to go ahead this premier golf league or the pga is going to keep the good players either way i'm not sure both can survive in the same market it's unfortunate they say that they're making them pick between this new premier league style almost and the big tournaments that for it to really work you would still want tiger woods roy mcelroy all the big golf stars still having the ability to go and play in the Masters It's and the big open tournaments because that's, of course, what the sport's built on. But the sport needs to evolve. It needs to develop uh, a better understanding of its audience and perhaps encourage younger people to really get involved with it. It's certainly known as a, the older man's well, sport. The company organising this has said with all the sponsorship and TV deals they can negotiate, there's a prize fund over the season on offer for the players of £183 million. So... That to be one amongst the top players, I think that's probably quite hard for a lot of them to turn down. But um, the question is whether that's all sort of wishful thinking and theoretical thinking and, oh, if I set up my business, it's going to earn this, that and the other. And, and the proof, of course, will be in the pudding, whether people actually tune into this. And also it's a gamble for the players because if they go and do this for a year and it doesn't take off, um, then they're out on their ear as far as the PGA Tour is concerned. They might not be allowed back into that and then they've stuffed their careers for something that didn't take off. So it's it's going to be a difficult decision for all of them, I think. But as we say, Tiger hasn't ruled it out. No. Well, it'd be all right for the big players. I think they could walk their way back in either way. But for anyone else that isn't a household name, there, there could be that struggle. But you mentioned about going to all these exotic locations. That were, would also be brilliant for the local economies around the world to mm. have these fantastic sports and stars sport. to visit them. Yeah, yeah. for sport as well. It seems it's just so much that golf is, isn't now specifically an American sport, it seems, and, and British as well. Obviously, there's this British interest. But mm. I've never got the impression that uh, golf, even though there are... Um, players um, like uh, Kiradek Afibarnat from um, Thailand and ones from different parts of the world. I'm just trying to remember Sergio Garcia as well um, from the uh, from Spain. So there are various different players from parts of the world, but just in terms of the global audience, I'm not sure it's quite there. Whereas if they were going around to different far-flung places across the world, then that might as you say, promote the sport more and, and get people interested as well as helping local economies. So something a bit like F1 and, and darts do, yeah. a, a world tour, I think would be quite exciting for the game of golf. 
yeah, I, I will end on the fact that I think if golf doesn't reinvent itself, it will be a sport. Not, maybe not dies out, but it will become a niche sport. It will become... A, it's not too spoke, much spoken about now, particularly between Just younger like cricket. people. <laughs> now, I, cricket, I, I don't think will be that always be a staple of English sport, mm. but I think golf will slowly die out and become a much smaller sport if they don't reinvent themselves, if they don't get young people inside them, if they don't make it more accessible. And that seems like a step in the right, right direction. They're just going to have to have all the bodies pulled together and draw out the best outcome for the sport rather than their own individual profits. And we'll end nicely on my niche sport. Mm -hmm. Speaking speaking of golf being a niche sport, this week is bog snorkeling. Some of you may have heard of it before or perhaps some of you even engaged in a soft form of it after a drunken night out. It is indeed (laughs) a tournament that's held up in Cumbria and I'm sure of various other uh, rural places across the, the UK where the aim is to as it's, the name suggests jump into uh, a peak bog uh, you have to wear snorkels uh, and flippers and essentially just try and swim up a, a small stretch of peak bog as fast as you can uh, winner takes all uh, something you'd ever consider getting well, engaged in? Hmm, this is, uh, I always think with these, though, they seem to do them in freezing conditions. I yeah, think that would always bother me. in yeah. kind of the winter. Oh, you always watch these, um, the, I think there's an annual New Year. is it Christmas Day or New Year's Day tradition where there's a Christmas load of Day, people that go into the jump sea. in the sea, yeah. um, and that always just looks absolutely freezing, uh, and I can't understand why people would do that. So I think if it was... Um, perhaps a, a warmer day then I might consider having a little go um, at it just to say that I'd done it that kind of sport but it's you know it's not necessarily one of those things where you'd want people taking pictures for Facebook is it while you were taking part <laughs> so um, yeah quite something interesting and maybe something to do with friends as well not necessarily something you'd enter on your own unless you were really serious about it I know I've heard of people doing it as part of their stag do or hen night and that kind of thing uh, as sort of a uh, sporting activity that they can all get involved with. So, yeah, an interesting one and definitely an unusual sport. I'm not sure how professionally it's played, though. No, it's, uh, well, the length of the trench is uh, 55 metres and the record is 1 minute, 18.8 seconds. I wonder how that compares to the record for swimming 55 metres in water because that sounds incredibly quick. That's about, what, a metre every two seconds, that would be. Going through mud is quite remarkable, isn't it? We should get some famous swimmers to have a go. It should Michael Phelps, Rebecca Adlington. Adam Peaty, see whether he can... The only famous swimmers yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but that concludes it for this week. Next week, we'll be delving into the world of boxing again. We do love a bit of boxing on this show. Uh, in the, the build-up to the big fight of Tyson Fury... Deontay Wilder. Come on, Deontay. Well, you should probably <laughs> get out of the studio pretty quickly. Um, well, we'll be judging that. There'll be plenty of other sporting action to discuss, and we shall see you next week. We will be back into the swing of things now, and no more prolonged breaks. Hopefully, back with weekly episodes. Dan might be back next week, might not, who knows, but we'll see you then. And also for any horse racing fans, keep a lookout for our Cheltenham Preview podcast, which will be coming uh, within the next month. We'll have lots of tips, I'm sure, and and discussion that Sam's going to be anchoring on that one as well.